Welcome to an Impact Ministries production brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hi, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. Man, I love this message that we're going to be talking about today. Lack is not limits. Now, this is so incredibly important. You know, in, in, the, book of, uh, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 78, verse 41, it says, Yea, they turned back and they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, we, we have talked about this, and you, you, th there's some truth here that you've got to be able to take on without going into condemnation. You can't, you can't beat yourself up over this. That, that gets you nowhere. As a matter of fact, sometimes beating yourself up and condemning yourself is really a form of resisting the truth. Because if I can beat myself up and condemn myself, then I can feel bad enough about me to have an excuse to not come back and trust God, not to come back and allow God to do in my life what, he, what He's already paid the price through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's very important to understand this. The children of Israel, the problem wasn't that they would, you know, that they had never seen miracles, they had never seen God move, that they didn't have a basis upon which to trust God. But what happened was because their heart was not fixed and steadfast. Now, if this is your first time that you're tuning in on this message, you need to go back where we, where we talk about what the Hebrew words for fixed and steadfast mean when it refers to the heart. Because if your heart is not fixed, you will not be steadfast, immovable, in the covenant. And that was the whole problem with the children of Israel. Like it is the problem with us today. The reason we lose most of our battles, you know, it's sort of like a, if you get drafted. I, I watched a movie the other day and uh, uh, it, it was, it was uh, I've seen it before. It was, it was the movie, I'm trying to remember the gates of something. And it was about, it was about when the uh, Nazi uh, Germany was invading uh, Stalingrad and uh, and this 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 crazy battle that took place and so when the Soviets according to this movie sent their uh, uh, soldiers out they didn't have enough bullets and they didn't have enough guns so only I think it was like every fifth soldier actually got a gun and the philosophy was you're gonna get killed anyhow so when the guy in front of you gets killed, you pick up his gun and then you'll, you'll have a gun. <laughs> and, you know, what would be even worse if you survived to pick up a gun and then is out of bullets? Well, that's the way Christians are. When we're trying to work faith, we're trying to get prayers answered, we're trying to make all these miraculous things happen, and, and really, we have never dealt with the issues of our heart. We have never done what the Bible calls fixing your heart. Now, you know, I've talked about this in a lot of different series, and you want to realize something, that first of all, before Jesus ever went into the ministry, he had to deal with the issues of his heart primarily pertaining to his identity. 
You know, the first Adam in the garden, he, he fell, really he went into rebellion. He didn't fail. He didn't step on a slippery banana peel and, of sin and slip off in, into something. He rebelled, and the reason he bailed, rebelled was because it, it, he was challenged about whether or not he was who God said he was. Now, I got news for you. The, the two battles of your life, and really the, the only two real battles of faith that you'll ever fight in your whole life are going to be, is God who he says he is? Am I who God says I am? And if you believe those two things, then you believe that you have what God says you have. But every struggle that we have of, of believing for God to be able to, to meet our needs, to deliver us from a situation, every one of those struggles revolve around, do I believe the truth about who God is, His character, His nature, His goodness? Do I believe the truth about who I am in creation and very specifically who I am now in Christ? And uh, those, the, that's it. I'm telling you, every struggle we fight revolves around those two things. So the first Adam in the garden, he, he wavered at the first challenge of whether or not he really was uh, like God. Because that was the whole challenge and the temptation was, well, you know, if you'll, if you'll just do this, if you'll eat of this tree, then you will be like God. Well, then the implication here is, that evidently I'm not like God. And so, so I'm going to have to go out and do something to become like God. Now, you, you fast forward to Jesus, and Jesus spent all of these years preparing to live in his destiny. Man, I'm telling you, if only more parents raise their kids to live in their God-given destiny. Don't pick out their destiny for them. Don't choose their future for them. Teach them to discover who they are in God and ultimately who they are in Jesus because they come to believe on Jesus for themselves. Who God is, and I got news for you, they will be prepared from the basis of identity. Your children, your grandchildren will be prepared. And let me say this, your church members, your job as a pastor is not to get everybody right. Your job as a pastor is to get everybody to believe. It's to share with them the truth so they can resolve these issues in their own heart. So, you know, when Jesus is, is ready to go to the ministry, he faces the ultimate challenge that every minister faces and every believer faces. I'll tell you, if you are a minister struggling with self-worth, you need to read my book, Leadership That Builds People, Volume 1. And you'll only be able to get that for a limited time because I'm, I'm getting ready to write volume three in the leadership series. And when I do, those will all be condensed down in, into one book. So now would be a great time to get Leadership That Builds People, Volume 1. So, and because I talk, I talk all about this in, in that book, and I talk about Jesus and his journey on developing his, his sense of identity. So, you know, stop and think about it. He, he fasted for 40 days, so he was hungry. Now, hunger is a form of lack. You, you're, you, you don't have the adequate uh, nutrition that, that your body needs. You know, most people have never fasted, so most people have, have never actually made the distinction between the different types of hunger. You know, there is a hunger where you just desire taste. 
You, it, it just, you just, you're craving to taste something. That is actually not hunger. There is a very fleeting hunger. Uh, and if you fast for any length of time, you know about this, that, that even though hunger may come, that feel, you feel like you, you need to eat something, uh, as long as you don't obsess about it, it, it goes away. It, it actually dissipates almost instantly. But there is a, another kind of hunger, and that is the kind of hunger where you are not absorbing nutrients. And, you know, when I used to have my clinic, uh, when people would come in, you know, one of the things I specialized in was eating disorders. And so when, when people would come in, uh, uh, very often, uh, for example, people who were struggling with weight problems, and, and let, me, let me say this, weight problems are nearly never a matter of too many calories. And the, and the people who try to solve weight problems by, by, cal, you know, by how many calories I take in versus how many calories I burn, that person will never, ever permanently solve that, that weight issue. But so many of the people that would come in that had weight issues were people that were not absorbing nutrition. Therefore, uh, they always felt hungry. They always felt a need to eat. They always felt some kind of lack. And so the problem wasn't uh, uh, really how much they were eating. The problem was how much they were not digesting. So Jesus, uh, he comes to the end of this fast. Now his body is saying, mm, I got to have something to eat. Now I'm telling you, if you've, if you've ever fasted for prolonged periods of time, you, you know what that feels like where your body starts saying, mm, it, is, it is time for you to eat. If you go any farther than this, you are not, you're going to be doing your, yourself damage. So, so stop and think. There, there is a need. There is a lack there. So we understand this. You know, we've been taught that the devil just attacks us, that he just attacks. He puts thoughts and temptations into our mind and makes us want things. Well, no, you can't really prove that anywhere in the Bible. Temptation does not start with the devil. Temptation starts with our desires. And once we have a desire, very specifically, once we have a feeling of lack, we are going to go one of two ways to fulfill that. We are going to either, we're either going to trust God, we're going to walk with God, we're going to, we're going to believe God, we're going to connect with God, we're going to follow God's wise plan, or we're going to go do this through some means of, of gratifying the flesh and self-centeredness. But, so... In this original temptation, the, first the lack came, and then, you know, it's really interesting because, because then, you know, he was, uh, Satan quoted a scripture to him, and he said, look, if you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now, is, would there have been any sin in turning stones into bread? No. As a matter of fact, just stop and think. Uh, it wasn't long after that till Jesus multiplied fish and loaves of bread so that thousands of people could eat because there was a need, because there was, there was lack there. But so what would have made it sin? What would have made it wrong for Jesus to have turned stones into bread? Because the basis of the temptation was, if you're really a who you say you are. In other words, do you believe you are who God says you are? I got news for you. Every time you face a temptation, that's the real question. Is God who he says he is? And are you 
who he says you are. Because if you are who he says you are, then you know he, will, he, he has already taken care of this need. You know, the, the, the name Jehovah Jireh, which, you know, basically we translate it as, as Jehovah will provide. Uh, actually, is more than that, is Jehovah will see and provide. And the sense there is that he sees the need before you ever get there so that when you get there, uh, the resources that you need are available. You know, uh, if you listen to last week's message, I talked about miraculous probabilities. In every situation, everything that you need exists in a potential. And when you believe for it, that potential becomes the reality that you experience in, in that situation. But when, if, if you, like Adam or like Jesus, you're basing your identity on your performance, on your ability to make this happen, then I got news for you. you are, you're putting God on trial. You, you, it's gone past just getting your needs met. It certainly is not trusting God to do something. But if you're trying to find out, am I who God says I am, then the real truth is you, you, you put God on trial. And each of the temptations that Jesus faced had to do with what he believed about his identity. So Jesus, he actually, and you can go back a few weeks in this series uh, where I talk about getting your heart fixed. His heart was fixed and steadfast in who he was in relationship to God. Now, interestingly from that, Jesus comes out and the very first thing he starts preaching is about healing your broken heart. If you don't get your broken heart fixed, you will never be stable. You will never be steadfast in the covenant. And in the book of Luke, the fourth chapter, as well as going back and looking at this in the book of Isaiah, it talks about how that until this happens, you'll sit in prison even though the prison door's been opened. Now, that's, well, that's not talking about demon possession there. Uh, uh, we know Jesus cast out demons. I'm not denying that. But, but in context, this is talking about the heart's ability to perceive what's real, what's true. You will sit in the darkness of the prison even though the door has been opened because your perception is such that you do not even see and realize that the door has been opened. That's what it's talking about when it's talking about recovering sight to the blind. That's what it's talking about when it's talking about setting the captives free. Uh, and, and even though your sins have all been forgiven, you will still feel this sense of emotional debt. You will still carry this, this guilt around with you. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to come into this year of Jubilee, uh, experiencing all of your needs, man, if you want to come into this, then it's got to start with your heart. It's got to start with getting your heart fixed so that, you're, so that you can become steadfast in the covenant, what God has done through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, whenever it says that the children of Israel, it says they turned back and they limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, what happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. They faced lack. Now, I'm telling you, and I go into this in great detail in the series that that uh, uh, you can order that goes along with what I've been sharing with you. And just stop and think about it. In the series, you get... You get uh, about six hours of additional teaching, most of which is not fully covered in this free uh, broadcast. Then you get 
all, probably another five hours of what's covered in this broadcast for free. And then you get a, the free book of taking the limits off God. I'm telling you, I'm doing everything I can to equip you and give you the chance to equally invest in yourself and invest in others. So, you know, order the series, go take the next step, be a disciple, be a person who is developing yourself to, to uh, make this journey from, from Egypt to heaven on earth. So <clears throat> let's stop and think about it. Every time the children of Israel faced lack, they actually would put God on trial. You know, when they needed water, they immediately, and the concept here of testing God in, in, in uh, Psalm 74 to 1 is to put God on trial and find him guilty. Well, they put God on trial, found him guilty of not being able to give them water. Well, what did God do? He gave them water. Now, here's the amazing thing. The Bible tells us, and I go, again, I go into great detail in this in the series. The Bible tells us that God says, I would have given them honey from the rock. Now, I'm telling you, it's, it's a pretty dang good miracle when you get water out of a rock. I mean, that, that, uh, uh, you're out in the desert. Man, you, you, you don't have, you don't have uh, a, you know, a well to, to draw from. Uh, you don't have the resources that you need. You're going you're gonna to parch and dry and burn and die out in the desert. And God gives you water from the rock. Even after you accuse them of not being able to do it. That, that, that's pretty phenomenal. But here's the crazy thing. You see, if they had really trusted who God was and trusted uh, uh, who they were to God, they could have said, well, you know, God, I'd like some honey out of that rock. He said, okay, here you go, bam. And they would have gotten honey out of the rock. So I'm thinking about it. Every day they're going out and picking up manna. Uh, you know, the whole, I think the name angel food cake came from the concept of manna. I, I think that's originally where it came from. You know, the Hebrew word manna means what is it? it you know, you know, you know it always jokingly say, you know, every, every newlywed uh, gets to eat manna. Uh, for the first year they're married because their wife don't know how to cook and they go sit on the table and they're saying, what is that? Because <laughs> I can't tell by looking. Well, it wasn't that way. Think about it. Manna was something that sustained them physically and sustained their hunger. I mean, manna must have had incredible nutritional value, if you want to know the truth. So every day they're walking outside picking manna up. That's a miracle. Man, how much better... Can it get them that? But you know what they did? In their hearts, they put God on trial and said, hey, yeah, but can it give us meat? As a matter of fact, they said it this way in one of the Psalms. One of the Psalms quotes is saying, can he prepare a table in the wilderness? Well, God's answer to that was absolutely. And the real truth is, uh, if you'd have trusted me, you could just ask for meat. I would have I gotten you meat. If you'd have trusted me, you could have got, just asked for water and got it. If you'd have trusted me, all of these things, all of these situations they run into, all of these trials and tribulations, when they ran into challenges and felt lack, because their heart was not established, then they always went in the wrong direction. Now, this phrase uh, where uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, or, or in the, well, actually in the English, where, where it says that, uh, it says that in Psalm 78, 41, it says, Yea, they turned back and tempted God. That phrase, they turned back, comes from this, this Hebrew word. I, I think it's pronounced like schwab. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a, uh, yeah, or shub. And, and 
this particular word, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about this particular word, but the first and last letter of this word um, comes from, the first letter is the shin, and the shin is a picture of fire. And the fire represents a passion. Uh, in other words, a deep burning desire for something. And the last letter, the bet, represents the heart. And so basically uh, what happened was they allowed lack to drive them to this passionate burning desire. You remember Elvis wrote a song about it, a hunk of burning love. Well, so in their heart, they so crave whatever this hunger, whatever this passion, whatever this is, they so crave it that honestly they turn to that desire and they wanted that desire fulfilled more than they really wanted God. Well, that, you say, well, that's kind of stupid. Well, no. If you don't believe that God is who he says he is, when you are feeling lack, you will want that need met more than you want God. Why would you want God if he's not going to let you have it? You know, this is one of the craziest things about religion. Religion is crazy, crazy, stupid, crazy. Religion tells you to trust God. But then religion tells you, but God's going to test you. He's going to, man, he's going to put you through stuff. He's going to kill your kids. He's going to, your dog's going to get run over. Your air conditioner's going to break down in August. All these horrible things are going to happen. That's God doing that to test you. Well, faith works by love. Not, not saying that faith works by us in love. Now, that faith has, does have, I mean, love does have something to do with that. But what it's talking about there is faith is rooted in the love of God. Trust, and that's all the word faith means is trust. The ability and the willingness to trust God is usually the willingness. It's not the ability. You have the ability to trust because there's things, that, there's things in people that you trust other than God, which means you have the capability of trust. You just don't have the willingness to trust God. Well, why would you be willing to trust God? That you, you, He's a psycho. You never know. He's going to hurt you, going to kill you, going to take your kids away from you, going to test you, going to make you go to Africa as a missionary. You know, who in the world knows what he's going to do? Well, that's the way, that's the way most people are approaching God. So when their back is against the wall, as often as not, they think it's God that's doing it. And so they're trying to find, muster up some way to, to be able to say, to, to, to trust God, even though they believe he is causing the problem. So, so you, you can't trust a God that you're afraid of. Well, you know, you flip that around. The Bible talks about the fear of God, and we've talked about this a lot. The fear of God, based on the Hebrew concept, was not being afraid that he would, that he would hurt you. It's the concern. Well, first of all, it's the, you see God in such awe and honor and respect that, that it inspires you to deep love and worship. And the fear of God is where, is where this awe and honor and respect, where God becomes so valuable to you that he is more important than anything or anyone in your life. He, beca he becomes your absolute source of life and, and every person and every need in your life falls behind that. And, and you don't have to worry about those needs because you know he'll take care of them. Jesus said, look, a seek ye first the kingdom of God is righteousness. All this stuff can be added to you. That, you, know, you know, you don't need to be wasting your faith on trying to get stuff. You know, when Jesus taught in the model prayer, he said, look, don't waste your time praying for stuff. God knows that you need stuff. And then he teaches us how to connect to God. And of course, he tells us three or four things not to do in prayer. And every prayer seminar I've ever been in taught us to do exactly those things that God told us not to do. 
That's what religion does. Religion makes the fulfilling of your desire more important than staying connected to God. Why? Because desire brings lack. Lack is a feeling of desperation that will either open your door to lean into and trust God or to search for an alternative source to meeting the need in your life. But just because you feel lack does not mean you have a limited God. That, that, that is so incredibly important. Lack, let me read this here. This is this part of my notes. Lack is a deceptive emotion and thought that makes you feel helpless in the face of the need. For the believer, this is tantamount to saying that God can't help me in this situation. The feeling of lack is the delusion that leads to projecting your feelings onto God. The root of sin is not bad behavior. Behavior is the fruit of sin. Sin begins with a belief that God is not good and only good. Therefore, you don't know when or if you can trust him. And then, of course, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so when we come to God, we're usually motivated by lack instead of by faith. We, like the children of Israel, come to God. We approach Him from a perspective of judgment that says, uh, you're going to let me down. You, you know, this, this, this probably isn't going to happen. You're probably, you're probably not going to do that. So in that moment, we have moved from lack to limits. And then our judgment of God closes that door because it all, it's all about what you believe in your heart. Closes that door in our heart that says, even though you're trying to, just like water gushing out of the rock, you are trying to flood your goodness through this hard heart of mine. And I am not going to let it happen. I have closed the doors because I have judged you as being unfaithful in this situation. You know, my favorite story, remember Jesus was tempted in every way, like as we are. My favorite story about Jesus dealing with this, and Jesus is our model. He teaches us how to deal with this. Um, in the book of Mark, he talk, you know, the, the Bible tells about him needing to feed 5,000 men, all their wives, all their children. So, he asked the disciples, you know, what the resources are. They, cut, they, they, they get together some kid that's got, you know, a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Now, if Jesus was tempted in every way, like as I am, like you are, I got news for you. The very first thing he did is he said, these are my resources. That is the demand. That's the need. He would have felt lack because the resources that he could see and the natural resources that were available to him that he was aware of in that moment, uh, they were nothing compared to what the need is, compared to what the demand is. Now, the Bible says in the King James that he looked up into heaven and prayed, and then he blessed the bread and the fish and multiplied it. Now, you see, what we would have done is we would have started trying to bless the bread and fish, and nothing would have happened, and we would have blamed God. That phrase where it says he looked up into heaven, it's the same phrase that's used over in the book of Luke where it says opening the eyes of the blind, that is the phrase recovering sight. 
When Jesus looked and the demand was greater than his resources and he had the feeling of lack, he recovered sight, he repented, he recovered sight by looking at God and God's resources, turning his heart to God and recovering his ability to look at this situation from God's resources. Then his heart was in a position to multiply the fishing bread. Let me tell you something. If you don't stabilize your heart first, Trying to get your miracle is going to be a process of vanity. Listen, I hope, I hope you'll get this serious. I hope you've gotten a lot out of this. I hope you go back and listen to it over and over again because I want you to take the limits off God. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.